Well, hello, Line Podcast listeners. Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. Glad you could be here with us. We hope you're having a great weekend. It was a quiet week in the news, but we still had a lot of good stuff to talk about. We talk about how the media covered COVID, how the Prime Minister handles protesters. We talked about how we sometimes get a weird feeling that the people running the bot farms are bored out of their minds and are seeking entertainment. We talk about how we balance competing minority rights in a society, and in every case, we conclude we're not doing any of these things particularly well. All that and more coming up in moments as we get underway with the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Jennifer Gerson. I just um, want to... Matthew Gurney. Matthew Gurney. I want to mention something to you. It was just kind of... I made a mistake. Um, I tweeted something and, you know... That's, that, is, that was your first mistake. That's our philosophy here. <laughs> Tweeting is always a mistake. Tweeting um, is always a bad, a bad life decision. We're actually going to talk about this in part of the video substantively, but uh, the Prime Minister was in Belleville, Ontario to, I think he was making some like stop to talk about the child care benefits or something. Like it was something very vague. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was something, it, was, it wasn't vague. I only understand it in a vague way because what ended up being the story was that he got mobbed by angry protesters. Something kind of mm-hmm. like we, what we were seeing in the 2021 election. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of tweeting about it. Just basically say, well, this is gross. And, you know, and, and these, like a lot of these people are so deranged, they ain't ever come back. And then what's been happening ever since I've gotten hundreds of reply tweets uh, from people saying the video's fake or uh, that the, the uh, instead of him being called a, a perverted Jew, I think it was, or a filthy Jew, they're saying a puke instead of a Jew. And there's people going, well, of course, like righteous Canadians are pushing back against his pedophile tyranny. Mm-hmm. The thing, I don't even want to talk about the Twitter reaction, except to say, do you ever get the feeling that when you're getting spammed with like a reply from like a hundred different accounts, that you're actually getting one person sending like a hundred different accounts messages to you? And that if you send back like a sarcastic or wry response, they actually like that because it probably breaks up their monotony a bit. Yes. Oh, yes. And you're probably getting that impression because it's accurate. I think I I have been trying for two years now. I've been wanting to write a piece, and I've tr- I've made some efforts at this, but I haven't gotten anywhere. I want to do an actual day in the life interview with someone who's like a bot farmer, because mm-hmm. I just think it would be fascinating. Like, what if your entire job is to sit around managing two hundred first name bunch of number social media accounts? to drive a specific political or ideological message. How do you get there? And what do you do the rest of your day? Like, do you do that for eight hours and then walk the dog? Well, you know Probably. what? If there are any if there are any bot farmers out there listening to this podcast, reach out to us and uh, we, will, we will grant you anonymity if need be. But uh, I think that that would be a fascinating conversation. But yes, I mean, this is also why uh, Twitter is becoming a less and less useful tool because you're not actually getting synthetic or sort of organic feedback from ordinary people some of the, there is some of that still there but a Not lot much. of what you get back is either people who are effectively paid paid bots or they're paid um agents of particular interests or you're getting people who are so far down the partisan rabbit hole that they're effectively the same and yeah. then you you do get what i think are not necessarily totally organized, but semi-organized campaigns to get particular algorithms, particular hashtags trending, or to move against specific people. And these, I'm sure, are, are not, I, say that, I don't think they're organized by parties themselves, but I think that what happens is you get secret slacks or secret discord channels yeah. where people who are like-minded get together, they start discussing their favorite hated people on Twitter. Did you see what this person tweeted today? Fuck you! I'll get you. I, yeah. I, and, and that, and essentially, the so a couple hundred people, even a couple thousand people, can coordinate an attack or 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 uh, launch a um, a campaign, essentially, against ideas, people, hashtags that look like it's it's reflective of tens of thousands of people when in fact it's a couple hundred. Years ago, like quite a few years ago, I remember a guy who was obviously not a particularly savvy Twitter user. Uh, you know how every once in a while you see someone tweeting what they think is a DM or, and I presume mm-hmm, people accidentally mm-hmm. DM their tweets, direct message. Mm-hmm. So there was like a taxi. Did this person a boomer who worked in media by chance? Uh, not media. It was a taxi driver. And in oh, Toronto, no. I don't even remember what the issue was. Um, 
specifically it was a strike or a labor negotiation or maybe it was the uber uh, uber regulations or something like that but taxis in toronto were a, an issue and i was hosting a news show a radio show at the time for a local toronto am station and some guy is tweeting okay hey i just heard gurney on his show take a stand against us so we got to do a coordinated hit on him but he's accidentally <laughs> tweeting them to me so and he's tweeting like a bunch of other people he's like hey so this is what he said at this time here's the call-in number to call him yeah. and tell him he's wrong yeah. and it was sort of like, it was all and i was like dude like this is in full view of the this public man literally like, in public like yeah you're and all the tweets job. disappeared so <laughs> um all right I mean, you, but, but you see that you see that happen all the time and it's a coordinated effort to try and intimidate critics and i mean all, all sides use it and it's just why twitter has become such a nasty and horrible place it's because coordinated and paid stuff is happening um but anyway, that's time this week this is the last thing i want to say about twitter okay. i think this week was the first time in months when i've really had the sense that this place was beyond salvage Mm. like i think i like i you i was very clear months ago and you you were on the same boat that we were not going to make some showy i shall never use the musk machine declaration 90 percent of the people who said that ended up being back tweeting in three days because yeah, they're if, addicts if you if you if you actually want to quit twitter you're just going to quit twitter, twitter. Yeah. you don't announce it yep bingo and this and I, I was never on that. I can, my sense has always been this has been a useful platform for me. Uh, it remains so in some capacity. But this week, and it wasn't even just that it's unpleasant to use. I just don't know if it's worth the time in terms of like professional return on investment. And the investment is simply a few minutes a day. And I don't even know if it's worth it anymore. So anyway, let's talk some actual news here. Um, I want to... I do want to talk about what happened in Belleville, but first I just want to mention something interesting this week. This is going to sound like I'm picking on people, and I don't mean it that way. I'm not looking to start some kind of a pundit spat here, but I was really interested this week to read a couple of articles. Um, one of them was in the Star, and I think it was by Tonda McCharles, and she was setting up the upcoming uh, cabinet shovel that we expect to see the Liberals announce sometime next week. And the other one was uh, a column by Max Fawcett in the National Observer talking about uh, the Liberals needing to get serious on housing. And uh, in, in the McCharles piece, there was, um, it, it, she was relaying the thoughts of senior Liberals who were basically saying, we need to put our best communicators forward here because we're really getting out communicated on some of these issues. Uh, and we're we're not telling our story here. Uh, we're letting other people tell our story. We got to tell our story. We got to talk about our successes. We really got to promote those. And uh, Fawcett's column was about again housing, but he was also talking about how liberal communications are uh, on the, on this file a big big problem. I think he he was responding to that um, uh, Minister Hassan uh, op-ed in the National Post. I guess it was last week now. And again, I'm not looking to pick a pundit fight with anybody here, but I just thought that was a fascinating perspective to, to, to see in, in Max's column or to hear Tonda reporting what liberals are saying about this because my analysis of the liberals is 100, 180 degrees the opposite of that they're good communicators they're bad executors and I think they have had some communication flops in recent months like for sure but I also but I think on balance like if I had a binary choice between the liberals are good at political comms and the liberals are good at deliverology I, I, I'm putting my chips on comps 100 percent like mm -hmm. when i look at the liberal party today i don't think to myself these guys need to do a bit more message management like, and again no, not looking to pick a fight with anybody it just struck me as a really interesting worldview divide here have you ever like well it isn't isn't it you interesting read paul wells recent series right yes oh it's yeah. brilliant if you haven't read paul wells's recent series on just what's happened in the media over the last 20 or 30 years it's but also what happened writing. in politics so yeah it's as a result of it so good so interesting completely read it it will help you understand the world around you in a way that very few pieces of reading writing ever can all the political parties and now the governments themselves have been eaten by the comms departments mm -hmm. yes anyway and so it's just fascinating and and i think that's right that it's interesting that you're getting people who are again not trying to pick fights but who are a little bit more aligned with with liberal partisans and liberal thinking sort of reframing a lot of their failures as comms failures if only we could control the message a little bit more. The problem isn't necessarily our deliverology. The problem isn't necessarily our ability to, to execute. The problem is, is comms. Because, of course, blaming comms and fixing comms is much, much easier than actually getting stuff done. 
right? I mean, we didn't craft the most perfect message is a much, much easier problem to fix than we need to build more houses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. So that's interesting. Speaking of comms, can I talk about the COVID stuff? Oh, sorry. I was totally frozen there for a second. One, I had no idea what you're talking about. Yes, I understand okay. what you're talking about now. By all means, proceed. Because, I mean, there's another story that's starting to, uh, I would say, leak out at uh, usually, for the most part, in the independent press. And like these stories tend to do, the, the stories that are truly critical of mainstream media failures, it tends to circulate among a certain ecosystem of substacks. <laughs> um, now, first and foremost, and I know Twitter. And I think this is one of those criticisms of the mainstream media that will inevitably have to cross the, the road into the mainstream media itself, because it's it's not a question is it's not a misjudged or benign criticism it's a serious criticism and essentially there was a, an organization called public i'll just uh i'm just going to quote nate silver's blog on this here um public this week published this thing basically showing that um i'm just going to quote nate here in march 2020 a group of scientists skipping over the names, published a paper in Nature Medicine that seemingly contradicted their true beliefs about COVID's origins and, and which they knew to be misleading. The paper, The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2, has been cited more than 5,900 times and was enormously influential in shaping the debate about the origins of COVID-19. You will remember, for example, that everybody who suggested that there was a lab leak were crazy conservative uh, wingnut conspiracy theorists, and the people who, who tried to back that position up, um, were frequently forwarded to this Nature article. However, um, we know that this because in a series of leaked and FOI emails and Slack messages that have now been reported on by Public Racket News, The Intercept, and The Nation, along with other small independent media outlets, um, the messages show that the authors were highly were actually highly uncertain about COVID's origins, and if anything, they le leaned more toward a lab leak than a spillover from an animal source. But mm. none of that was expressed in the proximal origin paper, which uh, insisted that quote, we do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. Granted, there's a bit of ass covering, blah, 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 blah. In the Slack and email messages, the authors worked to manipulate the media narrative about COVID-19's origins and ensure that their private uncertainty wasn't conveyed in conversations with reporters. They also thought they were going to get away with it. The truth is never going to come out, Lord Rambo in one message. This went beyond mere motivated reasoning. There was an enormous gap between what the authors believed privately and what they stated publicly, including in the proximal origin paper. Again, see the links above for more detail. We're going to link to that directly, link that, that whole post and all the original reporting directly so that people can make their own judgments on this one. What's the motive? Uh, like, like what I'm just oh, curious well, about here, like if these guys they, are skewing the message or trying to control it, what do they want the message to be versus well, what do they not it, want it to be? And, and I'll read further if you like, because there there were a couple of reasons according to their own to their own document to their own conversations about why they were skewing it. One, they were worried the evidence of a lab of a lab leak could cause a political backlash, understandably given that COVID has killed almost seven million people. Um, that's potentially important to the authors and authors' bosses, and the authors were very aware of career implications for how the story would play out. They were worried that evidence of a lab leak could upset China and undermine research collaborations. Mm. And they were worried that evidence of a lab leak could provide valid validation to Trump and the Republicans who touted the theory. Remember, this was taking place during an election year. And uh, medical epidemi epidemiological and public health experts had few reservations of a way in on political matters. So you have a whole bunch of sort of pressures on these people to 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 skew the conversation in one con in one way or the other. Have any of so, the uh, participants commented on the veracity of the emails or the slacks? Yes, some of them have gone online to, on Twitter and basically said, "Well, all these researchers are just quote mining. They're just they're just taking these quotes out of context." And blah, blah, okay, blah, blah. so okay, so but it's I think real, any, but it's not what I meant. It's not what I meant, yeah, but I mean, yeah. I think that if you look at the, the research here, has been very thorough, and the interpretations that these journalists, including Nate Silver, have come up with are not unreasonable based on the data they now have. So without necessarily weighing in on this, because of course we haven't done the original reporting on any of this, I'm reporting on someone else's report. Mm -hmm. But there were two things when I read this that really, three things really, that struck me as worth just talking into. One is that there actually have been scientific papers that have shown that people who believe that they, who buy into the ideology, we believe the science are actually more prone to falling for pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is, is because people who, who buy into the dogma of science, 
who necess aren't necessarily adopting the critical thinking required of science, but instead say, well, no, I'm the kind of person who believes, who believes in, in science. science. It's an ideological choice and position. Exactly. It's also an ideological tribal signal. Exactly. Yeah. It's no longer it's no longer actually scientific when you say I'm believing believe in science, because when you if you were actually scientific in your mindset, you would be adopting a whole bunch of um, critical thinking and critical reasoning um, um, uh, heuristics to the to the type of data that you're taking in. When you just say I'm the sort of person who believes the science, that means that anybody in a lab coat can sell you anything. Yeah. And essentially, that's what the scientific, with this particular, ironically, scientific um, uh, study from a couple of years ago found that that people who were adopted that particular tribal mindset were very vulnerable to being manipulated, um, which is really problematic. Um, and I think that the second problem in all of this is that the sort of people who believe the science are, such as journalists, <laughs> the sort of people who quote unquote believe the science but then don't always have the scientific or statistical training or an underpinning to be able to look at a study. Go and find it an expert. It's just drilled into us. Go find yeah, an expert. Just go find it. You go don't have the expert. training. You don't have the training or the, or the background or the study to be able to look at an abstract. You also don't have what, the time because your stories do at four o'clock. Yeah. You don't have the training or the time to be able to critically assess this. Your job is to go find the, the author of the paper interview the author of the paper, let them tell you what it means. Yeah. And, you know, if there's controversy about it, maybe go, maybe, maybe, but probably not. Because let's be honest, these are scientists and we can trust scientists. Dr. Gerson, who was not part of the research team, agreed with the study's conclusions. Exactly. Yeah. And so we saw this happen in spades during COVID. In spades during COVID. From the lab, lab leak hypothesis to a lot of sort of the conversation about from the public health experts about everything from hospital capacity to how we should react to this to adopting ever more and more stringent lockdown measures to all of this sort of stuff. I don't want to get into the good or bad of any one of those details, but I would say that, you know, you did have a believe the science sort of mentality that pervaded journalism and were absolutely willing to say, look, this is what the experts are telling me. I'm going to go with it because not only am I the sort of person who believes the science, but also bluntly, um, the sort of people who are who are against this are the bad people. Mm. I'm opposed to them. And also, I mean, to be fair to journalists, there was a real sense, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, that we're talking about lives. I don't want to be responsible for killing people. We were talking <laughs> about lives. Yeah, we're talking about lives. Yeah. I don't be responsible for spreading uh, the wrong piece of information. Some random person decides to ignore all the public health advice, goes for a walk to the to the supermarket without a mask on, gets COVID and dies. Right, yeah. like. I don't want to be morally responsible for people. So the the incentives for most journalists was to uncritically buy into what the public health, the better educated public health experts were saying, which is understandable, and also to take them a more and more and more cautious approach because you don't want to be responsible for unnecessary deaths. These yep. are absolutely understandable human motivations, but it did mean that as a class and as a society, we did not treat the experts feeding us this information with the degree of scrutiny and skepticism that we would normally lie to them. And this led to, I think, a lot of really, really dark outcomes, including, as we're now seeing, the lab leak origin story, which is now highly disputed as to where COVID's origins came from. And I don't think that's a conspiracy theory to say that anymore. So he like I said, I don't want to get into whether or not is COVID a lab leak or is it not a lab leak. I don't know. I, I can't possibly know. I, I'm not the person on the ground making those decisions. To me, it seems the lab leak position seems plausible, in fact, more plausible than the than the animal origin story. But shit, I don't know. But I do think that the real story here is one, just the degree to which scientism has become a tribal marker and how that degrades critical thinking and how also under COVID for completely understandable and very human reasons, journalists as a social class kind of uh, left their posts we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, I'm sorry, we didn't apply a, a high degree of critical scrutiny to our public servants and to our politicians and to our scientific experts. And this is an example of how, and to some extent, maybe those were good instincts in some respects, and they were noble instincts, but it did lead to also to mistakes and failures. And I think that we have to acknowledge that as a class, but we won't, but that's fine. I think you're going um, too far. Hmm? I think you've gone too far. All right. Um, I, I agree with you on lab leak. I, I have no sense of whether this was animal origin, lab leak, active God, alien bioweapon. Like, I don't know. 
I, I I've never bought into the idea that was popular on some parts of kind of the uh, the right wing social media ecosystem that this was a deliberate biological attack. No, no, and there's the and West. just to be clear, there's no evidence of that at all. Well, no, but more to the point, it's a stupid, it's a bad biological weapon. Like if this yeah, thing exactly. came through and killed all men of military age, I'd have questions. <laughs> um, but like, do we think that there's some evil unit of the Chinese military going, ah, you you imperialists, we've killed your old and feeble, like? No, like this this is a bad bioweapon. Um No, and there and there were some conservatives out there who who oh, wanted to buy into the bioweapon. Oh, it's an act thing. of war. Well, and yeah. not only that, but they the, a lot of the reason why the political situation became as as polarized as it did was because the lab leak and the bioweapon story became conflated. conflated. Yeah. And Lab leak is Chinese scientist drops a vial or accidentally pricks himself with a needle and then, and then, or and doesn't then wash goes, his hands and then and goes then and has goes, lunch. And then goes and eats lunch at a wet market. Yeah. yeah. That's a lab leak. Yeah, and that's I, I've always found that plausible. I, I I will never be able to tell anyone if it happened, but I find it plausible. But as to the media, like I, I don't think you're wrong, but I also think like the notion that we were going to provide a meaningful challenge function was not realistic. Maybe. And I just mean it was too fast. Mm. And there and I, well, first of all, I don't think in the early phases, the idea that we were going to provide a meaningful challenge function was realistic because we were as disrupted as anybody. Our newsrooms mm. were shut down. Our kids were yep. suddenly home from school. Our, yep. our parents were getting sick. Or yeah, our we were subject to exactly the same to the yeah. same pressures that everybody else was during yeah. COVID. But I, but I also think I'm going to, I think you're indulging in a little bit too much of something other people do to us, which is to go the media. True. The media is thousands of people working for hundreds of outlets, right? Like, yeah. if like there were plenty of people six months in, kind of going, "Is this lockdown doing anything?" Like at every, so I obviously I know the Ontario experience better because like that was my local experience. But Doug Ford couldn't go to a press conference without being asked, "Why is Costco open but my local grocer not?" Mm. Like yeah. there was, like there there was not don't get the mRNA poison kind of questioning coming from the CBC. But right. there was a lot more pushback than I think we remember. And it, it kicked Maybe. in earlier than it did. But also, but, then, but also, I think a lot of the pushback, though, was was in favor of stricter measures. Maybe. It wasn't, or, it, or, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't why was the lockdown, or sorry, why was my local meat market uh, locked down, but the Costco wasn't. The assumption behind those 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 questions was, well, Costco should obviously be shut down, too. I don't, you know, what? I don't agree. I think everyone understood we'd all starve to death if everything closed. Um, I think there were some extremists on there, but fair there were extremists, but They're I don't enough. think I mean, we can the so, media cr- being being critical of the hypocrisy of how the, of how the lockdown was actually enacted was an easy thing to do. That there was nobody asking whether or not there should be a lockdown at all. That was a verboten set of questions. Not in not in the first wave, but I mean when. Do you remember when like Doug Ford gave like the police expanded powers and everybody? Yes, because finally, when when Doug Ford reacted and said and 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 imposed Australia style lockdown restrictions, which is what people in the media had overwhelmingly been been calling for stricter, 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 harsher, harsher, harsher. When he actually went stricter, 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 harsher, 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 he went over the line. And then everybody went, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't mean that Australia. We only meant the parts of Australia that we liked. I mean, think... like, like, I don't mean to relitigate all of this, but like the, 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 and I'm saying, yes, there were sort of individual voices that were a bit more critical, but the, the push from, from the journalistic class as a whole, I, I agree with you, there is no, the media, but the push from the journalistic class as the whole was why aren't you being more consistent? Why aren't you being harsher? Why aren't there, why aren't there more vaccine mandates? Why aren't you punishing the unvaccinated? Those were the types of, that's where the pressure was heading on the whole. There wasn't a lot of people asking, well, shit, is this lockdown actually doing any good? Mm. I mean, for fuck's sakes, I certainly wasn't critical of the vaccines. I was like, get shot up, get, get, get vaccinated, do it. Yep. You know, because I think that's what was the, what the data at the time was telling me was, was the correct answer and right. would lead to the most likely end to the, to the pandemic. As soon I don't as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't regret that position because I think on the whole, it was true. Yeah. What turned out what to, to be not true was that the vaccine was not as effective at preventing transmission between vaccinated people as we as yeah. we had hoped. Um, right. To me, like to me, when it was it was getting interesting, um, and I remember myself and my TVO colleague John Michael McGrath were writing about this. We took we took some 
flack for this. We were fairly early out there basically saying the Vax passports have served their purpose. Like we, like we have gotten them to the point where there is no further marginal benefit by saying Jim here can't go to the hockey rink. Because yeah, he ain't it, ever. Vax passports serve no purpose. Pardon me? In the in the end point in the at the end of the day the vax passport served no purpose. I think it probably helped drive up uptake a little bit, but then it was a certain point talking, like when we mar- had ninety percent uptake. We yeah, was... exactly. You're talking marginal yep. marginal returns yep. here. And the I vax think... pass was initially not only didn't exist just to increase uptake, the vax pass existed to punish the unvaccinated and keep them out of the spaces out of public spaces with the logic that. If only vaccinated people were in spaces, the, the disease wouldn't be able to spread. Well, I think those are the same thing, though. Like the, well, keeping yeah, them out the, was the punishment. But the second logic turned out to be false because it looked mm-hmm. like because the because the because the, the virus absolutely could yep. spread among vaccinated people, and that's where the whole logic of the vax passport completely completely fell apart. I was reading an old column of mine from at the time, and it ended up being prescient in a way that I would not have guessed at the time. Where I said, "We talk about the carrot and the stick." And I think we're way more comfortable talking about the stick as an abstract thing as opposed to talking about what it really is, which is using the coercive power of the state to make someone miserable. Mm-hmm. And and I said, I'm okay whacking people with sticks. There's a lot riding on this. There's great, greater public interest, and I'm okay using the coercive power of the state. But what I wrote, and this was sometime in 2021, way before the convoy, people don't like getting hit with sticks. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point we might want to start thinking about what, like, are we getting value from the stick whacking here or are we just causing future problems for ourselves? And now we're in the future. And what do we have? We well, have let's talk Belleville. Because we have fundamental breakdown in social trust. Yeah. That is happening at an extraordinary rate. Loss of faith in the media who mm-hmm. turned out to be too fucked up. So fair enough. And, and won't acknowledge it and won't own its own its fuck up. And then we have loss of faith in, in in higher authority and governmental breakdown. So like like that's that that is a wonderful segue into what happens in Belleville. I, I turned it over to you. As I noted a few days ago, uh, sorry, as I noted at the start of the podcast a few days ago, the Prime Minister in Belleville, Ontario, which is a nice town. Belleville's a nice place, and he's there to uh, commemorate. I don't remember what it was. The child care agreement. Uh, I, I forget. I forget the details. Anyway, he he makes his remarks. And then he gets swarmed by about a hundred protesters. Uh, the rest of the vi- planned visit, which had included him visiting some local merchants, was uh, canceled, and his security got out of there. Uh, the prime minister's security, according to reports, I haven't seen any video of this, uh, had to physically intervene twice to block people from uh, getting within the prime within uh, the prime minister's perimeter. I have two reactions to this. The first was that I'm curious what set this off. And I don't mean in the abstract societal, let's talk about loss of trust. I want to know what why it was Belleville this week. Because we hadn't yeah. seen one of these in a while. No. So some, Again, going back to the Twitter conversation, someone's yeah. organizing that. So yeah, exactly. So I'm 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 gonna have some assholes be like, well, how could you ask what set this off? Don't you know Justin Trudeau's the worst prime minister? Guys, I don't mean that. I want to know why in Belleville, why that day? I want to know what was the the logistics that led to that. The other thing I want to do, though, I want to remind you, but also all of our listeners and viewers, what you and I talked about in 2021. The prime minister has to be really careful here because he looks good by comparison when he stands his ground a bunch against a bunch of shrieking lunatics. And I think the prime minister and the liberals have a weakness for that, for liking that optic too much. Because they like to go after big tech, because this is the big noble argument against yep. the Nazis. Or this is this is our, our you know, pick, pick your generational battle. So this is, this is a version of that impulse. When this was happening in the uh, 2021 election, something we wrote in one of our dispatches at the time, is that when you court this kind of, anger deliberately you're going to get it and you have no idea who the least stable member of that crowd is and if someone has a knife or a gun or a camera or whatever and tries to hurt the prime minister and i would never vote for the guy but god knows i don't want to see him hurt the prime minister's security detail will protect the prime minister 
but they won't necessarily be able to stop the random passerbys in the crowd who were out to get an ice cream and saw a motorcade pull up and thought, hey, I'm going to stay here with my grandkid. Hey, it's the prime minister. Someone who may be completely apolitical decides to stick around for a rally that they didn't know about because they're not news savvy. They're not plugged in. Hey, look, the prime minister's here. Come on, little Susie, we'll get you an ice cream and we'll watch. And grandma and little Susie end up taking six, nine millimeter rounds because there's some psycho in the crowd who shoots at the prime minister and misses. Yep. You have got to be careful leaning into this. And we said this in 2021 during the election because all those nutters were following the PM around and screaming insane shit at him. And for about 12 hours, he tried empathy. He was like, well, it's been a tough year. A lot of people feeling really alienated, afraid right now. And then by the next day, I will never apologize for standing up for the rights of Canadians to get their lives back. He pivoted from empathy to attack in about 24 these, these, hours. These unvaccinated are putting their own children at risk. I do. Fringe minority with unacceptable Fringe views. Fringe minority with unacceptable views. Yeah. It was a campaign decision, undoubtedly based on quick polling and a strategic decision. Yep. I think we're seeing that again. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to lean into the crazy to get another point bump in the polls, okay, knock yourself out. But you are going to be partially responsible for what happens next year. And the 2021 election, sanity prevailed. We saw visibly the RCMP changed after a couple of days of this. All of a sudden, they had a bigger perimeter. They were parking the motorcade vehicles much closer to the secured entrances of whatever venue the prime minister was going into. He was no longer wading his way through the crowds. And that was after he got the rocks thrown out of him. Yeah. Or is around that time? I don't remember exactly what happened. There was definitely a couple of weeks there where you had the prime minister, I should say this, being put in physical situations that emphasized the conflict because that was good for his campaign. And then there was a point where that escalated to the point where someone threw rocks at him and presumably there were other actual threats. Suddenly somebody went, oh shit, okay, we've gone too far. And there was a visible shift in that of of, um, security strategy after that. What I am calling for is an immediate return to that visible shift. Yeah. Because it will not be the prime minister. I mean, I mean, probably it would not be the prime minister who gets hurt in an incident like this. It's going to be, it's going to be a staffer. It's going to be some young liberal volunteer from that constituency office there with the clipboard. It's going to be someone out who may not be political at all is just there to see the event. It could be a fucking passerby. This is dangerous to the prime minister, to his protectors, to his staff, and to everyone at one of these events here. Not condoning these protests, I find them disgusting, but they are real. And we can either take smart steps to avoid problems, or we can lean into the problems because we like the photo op. I hope we don't do that. I think we might. So that's the the extent of my thoughts on that. You- I share a story about this. A story? Yeah, a story about uh, something that happened in my neighborhood. So I'm in I'm in Southern California. Oh, you didn't throw rocks at the prime minister, did you? I did not throw rocks at the prime minister. Okay, I want that on the record. I'm I'm in the Southern Calgary suburbs here. Like, put it this way, nobody in my community is pro-Trudeau, right? (laughs) Just statistically speaking, this is not the uh, happy Trudeau land. I'll give you an example. So in my son's school, when I went to go pick him up around the last provincial election, literally children had written in scrap, in scrap no NDP, pro-UCP, ah. in shock in front of the school. And I'm sure the teachers love that. But anyway, that, that gives you a flavor of the, the, the sort of area that I'm in. So in one of the, the houses in a street, not, not on my street, but further away from me, but close by, had a like one of those fuck Trudeau flags literally hanging next to his canadian flag and on the porch of his house and all of us in this community which again not pro trudeau but you know it's still a nice community we're like oh whatever well anyway so this goes on and one day pull up it's there's a whole bunch of uh, police cars in front of the fuck trudeau house and apparently the rumor has it that the the dude's been elected or arrested due to a domestic assault and i just and I just thought that was so funny because here in this community, which again, not a pro-Trudeau community, but trust me, every every house did not have a fuck Trudeau flag in the front. Yep. The types of house that did have a fuck, fuck Trudeau flag at the front 
were exactly the type of people that you would have expected them to be. So the sort of people who show up to these, these protests, even though Trudeau is not popular, he's not popular, I think, among even pretty ordinary people, but the type of people who are cultivated to do the most extreme thing, to put up the fuck Trudeau flag, to buy the bumper sticker, to show up at the protest. Yeah, they're the kind of people it, who backhand their girlfriend. Yeah, they're well, they're also not necessarily the most, I don't want to stereotype, but I mean, this is the fringe of the, the fringe there's no the way particular. you can do this without stereotyping this is a stereotype <laughs> like what we're talking about here is how every once in a while you see a mugshot and you look at it and you look at what the crime is and you go yeah yeah that fits it, it, look if you were to tell me who in the neighborhood went down for domestic violence and you had 20 houses on the street and one of them had a fuck trudeau flag without the slightest hesitation i'd go it's the fuck trudeau thing <laughs> And maybe, like, maybe I'm wrong, but I would say out of 20 houses on the street, one of them is a fuck Trudeau fl flag. I would put 50 bucks down if one of those houses is getting busted up for domestic violence, it's the fuck Trudeau guy. Like, that's not a healthy, emotionally mature thing <laughs> that a grown up does. That's correct. So to the extent that we're stereotyping, I'm not claiming 100% and this, and, accuracy. And, and this in a community, so the Trudeau sentiment is high. Um, um, so I feel like we've talked of, about the prime minister a lot, but you want to talk about a video uh, that yeah, surfaced of it. Because this one's now starting to make the rounds through sort of right wing, the right wing space as well. And this is a, Chester Trudeau went, so there, there was, there's been ongoing pro, um, uh, protests, especially in Calgary and debate among the local Muslim community and basically LGBTQ issues, positions. With the local Muslim community, th th this all started with, I don't know if you remember this, a couple of weeks ago where there was that teacher in Edmonton who told the Muslim students that, you know, you have to show up for pride. You can't just skip Oh yeah, you're because, bad Canadians. Yeah, because you're bad Canadians. So this is this is obviously the most stupid possible thing to say. And in a mature- What happened with that? Did anything, did anything happen I'd with that I'd have teacher? to double check that. I'd have to double check. I don't know. I don't remember. But I mean, I think Colby Kosh actually had the best take on this in his newsletter. And that was, you know, in a pluralistic society that is mature enough to tolerate dissent, the Muslim kids skipping out on Pride Day is actually the answer you want. That's yeah, the they're not, they're that's not the, sabotaging they're it. Not they're not sabotaging it. They're not they went to the mall. They're, yeah, they just went to the mall that day. That's actually the correct answer. They did the right thing. And the teacher, by basically berating them and saying, you're not good Canadians for not falling in line, was the bad guy in this one. Yeah. It's not close. Yep, yep, yep. And the interesting thing is that this is now really mobilized, as far as I can tell, a lot of members of the Muslim community here in Alberta who just don't have some issues. This way, traditional conservative Muslim is not compatible with LGBTQ ideology around gender. It just yeah. isn't. Yeah. Neither these two particular ideologies can meet. They, they like there are gay Muslims, of course, of course there are. And you know, if you go into the Middle East, there are places where they'll throw you off the top of you know buildings for being gay. Like this is this is a, a really controversial and fractious situation. And um, it's a classic example of, of what happens when you know the rights of minorities collide, right? And and how do you how do you handle that in a pluralistic society? One um, of the only times, uh, when my long years of being a National Post editor, one of the only times I was ever overridden in one of my editorial decisions mm -hmm. was I chose a very graphic photo of three gay men being hung from a construction crane in a soccer stadium in Iran. And it was decided by people above me in the chain of command with it. And they didn't ask me, they just overrode me and changed out the photo selection that it was too graphic for the readers. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the wrong decision because I think we should see what happens to people who are gay in yeah. countries like Iran. And I, that pissed me off. And I'm pissed off enough that I'm bringing it up 10 years later. I have no illusions about the tension here, but I agree with Colby Kosh entirely. If 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 these people just leave, I'm okay with that. That's fine. If, if you have and, objections to the pride event and you skip it and go have lunch, cool. Cool. And also, here's the other thing that I would say is that like I'm also not trying to demonize Muslims, especially Muslim Canadians who for, who are not not killing people for being gay. Like that's not a thing. And I and I don't want to use um, the fact that that does happen in some Muslim societies to demonize another minority that yep. deals with its own persecution issues. Right. Like. 
this is a sensitive issue. And I think, again, it just comes down to competing rights of different minorities in a pluralistic society and how those things clash sometimes. Yeah. And so Trudeau, to his credit, and I do give him credit for this, went to some of the Muslim communities, I think here in, in Alberta, but I no, I can't remember where, where this was. I need to find out where this was filmed. But he sat down and had a tabletop conversation with some conservative Muslims. And it was very interesting what he said. Because what he said was essentially a bunch of right-wing outlets are indoctrinating people into believing that there's stuff going on around gender ideology in schools, and it's just not true. And I thought this was interesting because... That is true. There is a right-wing a right-wing sort of media ecosystem that is feeding and amplifying um, a discourse around what's being taught in schools. Most of it is not ref- actually reflective of what's actually going on in schools. I mean, I've got a son in grade one, you've got kids in elementary school, and if they're being fed brainwashed material about, you know, boys and girls and gay issues and blah 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 at that age I, I don't I don't I'm not seeing it <laughs> you know what I mean? like as far as I can see they're learning about the parts of the plant you know what I mean? simple arithmetic it's it's all pretty basic stuff I watch what comes home so yes that's right but it's such an interesting answer because it's if I blaming the right-wing media ecosystem it really allows him to completely avoid the harder question and the real issue which is okay but what should conservative not only muslim but conservative christian people be doing in the face of any socially conservative person any any socially conservative person be doing in the face of a public school system in which increasingly uh secular and ideological views around uh, secular ideological views around gender and, and 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 sexuality are being taught how do we reconcile those two rights and it also is an interesting thing because he's saying well this is just a bunch of right-wing propaganda about what's being taught in schools that is 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 a really easy He's too dodge. far out on that limb well it's a really easy yeah. dodge right up until the moment when there's a video that appears next, from yeah. a grade two class in yeah. toronto from a teacher who's you know making wild claims about how men and women girls and boys don't exist yeah you know i mean and and that will show up eventually because we know that there Absolutely. are there are examples of that the big prosthetic so, tits in oakville the prosthetic tits in Oakville, right? Yeah. Which again was a whole. Let's let's not go into it because it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, like like there are examples, or or you know, I mean, this isn't a, obviously a schooling thing, but the the Jessica Yaniv stuff. Why can't you mm-hmm. shave my balls as a, as a form of gender affirming care? And we find out that she's targeted targeting exactly these sorts of immigrant communities that are now protesting against these sorts of um, uh, uh, gender ideology in schools, like. It's a dodge that allows him to avoid the actual tension at yep. the root of the problem, which isn't fake. It may be a massively over amplified by a particular conservative narrative ecosystem and discourse. It may not be an accurate reflection of what's going on in a typical school, but it's not a fake problem. And yeah. I think that that is a, I think there's a, there's a, there's a tension there that I think is worth pointing to, right? You know, it's interesting because we start well, we almost started the podcast today. We, we we talked a little bit about how I think I'm talking to one guy with 800 bot accounts. But the first substantive thing we talked about was liberal communications. Mm-hmm. And this is the other side of that, which is where I think the liberals, to their own disadvantage, think that all criticism of them comes down to misinformation. Mm-hmm. It's yes. criticism of us is never valid because we're awesome. If you're criticizing us, you're either a plant, you're a conservative, or you're misinformed. Mm-hmm. And they have set themselves up mentally, this is in my opinion, uh, as, as a guy who's been watching them, obviously, where it's sort of like an unfalsifiable defense. That's, that's right. Which that's is, right. if we're being criticized, it's misinformation here. And like I was just saying a minute ago, I, th- I think you're bang on. The prime, if the prime minister wants to go out and say that this is misinformation, he is setting himself up to be crucified on the next video or audio file recorded by a student in class of a teacher saying something fucking nuts. And you never, it, it's almost the inverse of the Belleville thing I was saying, right? Where like, you never know who the most unstable person is in the crowd. You never want to take a political position that will rest at the mercy of the most stridently drunk on own Kool-Aid progressive 24-year-old teacher in a classroom. <laughs> because they're sooner or later, 
look, I had teachers that were nuts. I'm sure you did. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they just basically like it gets drilled out of them and they start liking their summers off. But like my my favorite teachers were nuts. They were the best. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I had a great art teacher who was arguably maybe a little nutty. But no, what's going to yeah. still remember him, Mr. Fulford. See, in Toronto right now, there's a little bit of this going on. I don't know all the details, so I don't want to even recite it that much. But uh, a Toronto District School Board principal recently committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And he was someone who had a media profile because he had alleged uh, a bullying incident in a, a, a board mandated diversity, equity and inclusion uh, program where he says he had been unfairly called uh, accused of being a white supremacist by an event coordinator who had been hired by the board to come in. There had been legal proceedings which were upheld in his favor, saying that he had been maligned. There was another legal proceeding happening that hadn't progressed at the time of his suicide, but the Toronto District School Board had not challenged that he had been bullied and maligned, and now he's committed suicide. And the only point I want to raise here, because I don't know enough about the issue to be specific about this in a substantive way, is that you have to always give yourself enough wiggle room that you're not going to get hung by the worst example of what you're insisting either doesn't exist or isn't real. Because there's always an idiot out there who's going to undercut you. So, so anyway, I kind of want to make right that dispatch so that we can look prescient when it inevitably happens. Knock yourself out. You go for it. Do you want to, we, we've been gabbing a while. I think you just wanted to mention you, uh, we're trying to avoid talking we're about Bill to avoid C-18, talking about the media, but you want to make media, a small yeah. exception. I want to make a small exception, but I don't necessarily want to write about it in the dispatch because I mostly just want to like. Well, tell me what it is, and then I'll tell you if it warrants a blurb. Okay, so two things. One, there was a recent uh, Financial Times article. They did a really, really great job about sort of the situation, which I won't get into because I presume that everybody listening at this far in understands what the situation is with C18. And if they don't, they just stop listening. Yeah. And essentially, there were two fascinating quotes in in it. And one was, I think, the CEO of, of, of. Post media, Andrew McLeod, right? Andrew McLeod? Andrew. Andrew. Uh, yep. Andrew. Okay, yep. I'm with Andrew. It wasn't Amy. Anyway, so basically he says something to the effect of, oh yeah, we're preparing for Google to cut off all of our traffic, but it's just going to be a blip. <laughs> and and there was another another quote from Paul Deegan, who's the the chief lobbyist for the for the for the um yeah. uh, and dis- for disclosure purposes, I know Paul and I like Paul. Yeah. Sure. No, no, no fault. He just doing guys doing his job, right? Um, but he's the the head for is it National Media Council, New Media Council? It's NMC. I, I just, I, yeah, I it's just, NMC. I don't remember I what it is. It, I just call NMC. it NMC in my head. But essentially, it's the lobbyist for the for the predominantly for the the, the, the legacy media. Legacy media. Yep. There are some independent media scattered in it as well. But 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 let's not kid ourselves. Um, and basically, Deacon said, you know, it's this thing has gone so poorly that it's very possible that we're going to be worse off after C eighteen than we were before. <laughs> Because let's be clear, if Google pulls out, not only are you forked on traffic, but there's also no money because there's no money to take anybody from. No. So yeah, um, and I so I if only there quotes, had been someone trying desperately only, to warn them all. If only if only someone had shown up at committee to try to warn them that this was a bad idea. You know, probably that person was just a shell for big media, you know, or big big tech. There you go. Anyway, um. So that was interesting, and then the, the third bit of the second bit of interesting news to come out of this on this particular file was uh, uh, the Meta and Google are trying to place ads in the newspapers, warning them that they'll be cutting the newspaper links out because of C eighteen, and the newspapers saying, "Well, we're not going to run your ads," which I just thought was incredibly forgive the pen Meta. So I thought that was really funny, and I want to circle back to the McLeod thing because I just said, if you honestly think that Facebook and Google cutting you out of searches is going to lead to a temporary blip in your organic traffic situation, you're either lying or you don't understand your business. Yeah, it's like calling getting your spinal column crushed a boo boo. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah, he had a really bad C four boo boo. Like, I understand why you might lie in order to try and, you know, put on a brave face <laughs> in the in the face of a existential crushing risk. But like, as far as I can tell, you've saw, you've gone to the to the bed, signed up for maid, and you have like the veterans affair bureaucrat on the line telling you to push the button. And you're like, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, uh, it, it's a boo-boo. I'll walk this one off. Boo-boo. I'll walk it off. Uh, 
Anyway, so, I just want to say that I don't know if it's worth a blur because I know our audience is very sick of us talking about C18. Keep it to but less than 200 was... words, but it's worth a blurb. Okay. All right. So I will I will add this just in my own conversations this week. The sense, I, and these are all private, personal conversations, so I don't want to disclose anything specific, but I will just say I've had this really interesting sense over the last week, week and a half, that everything we've been saying for months, big tech's not bluffing, they'll crush us like bugs, we are a rounding error on their business operations, like we are 2% of their traffic and their 40th largest market, mm-hmm. like let's try to understand our relative scale to these companies. Well, a lot of people thought we were wrong. I have perceived in the last 10 days a dramatic reassessment of a lot of those decisions. People are either starting to go, holy shit, Gurney, you were right. Or they're going, I'm starting to get worried that it's not all a bluff. Or they're really just angry at me for telling them this has, was going to be a thing. They're just They're just angry at the messenger. <laughs> It's just been really interesting, I think, over how, the last. How come you get you so. get the the you the 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 oh man, Gurney, you were right, and I'm getting shit on on Twitter for basically being pointing out that this was going to happen. How you come bring this out happens? the worst in people? Why do I do that? Um, I'll tell you off air. You bring out the best in me, though, and that's something. <laughs> well, we'll All see. Right. We'll see what happens off air. Uh, yeah, maybe. All right, so uh, I'll do I'll do the Trudeau Muslim. I'm going to do the Trudeau the COVID stuff. I'll do the Trudeau Muslim stuff, and I'll yeah, do, I'll do cabinet shuffle comms and um the uh, Belleville. Basically, the Belleville don't stuff. lean into this. You'll get someone killed. Okay, cool. And I'll just keep the the C18 stuff to like. Two yeah, keep it under two hundred words. Like, and I'll just make fun of a cloud. Basically, that's all I really. I honestly think our, our listeners gripe about how much we talk about this, but I've looked at the readership stats every oh, time we. People are really engaged in this. People yeah. don't like to admit what they like, and they do not, and they always claim to like stuff that they don't. And I mm-hmm. love readers, viewers, and listeners of the line. I love you, but you're just as human as the rest of us. Like, oh the, shit! The, yeah, the stats <laughs> don't lie. Is is basically what it comes down to. I'm so tired of reading all this stuff about the media. We publish a piece, and it has like a 98 percent open rate. Like. Yeah. Sorry, but like we we call bullshit with love, but yeah. Uh, okay, that's all oh, I got. Oh, all of your call. I don't want to read columns. I want to read reported news and giant investigative features about massively important topics to our Canadian democracy. I'm giving. I'm for our podcast listeners. I'm giving. Yeah, she's giving me a very look. skeptical expression. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, no one. No one's faith in humanity survives first contact with real-time web traffic monitoring. <laughs> you see exactly what people are interested in. You see exactly what they're not. Like it's like basically it will be like city hall investigation reveals scandalous bribery among municipal bylaw enforcement officers. And there's a like 150 people reading that. And the next one is celebrity dress malfunction boobs pop out on red carpet see it here Nine hundred thousand people are on that page and the cumulative time on page is like four minutes a person whereas the municipal scandal is like 45 seconds each i'm gonna make a really a really bad joke about uh stamina and fapping but there you go i'm gonna pass four minutes yeah it sounds about right actually all right um anything else that's it okay thanks everybody All right, everybody, that's it for this, the latest episode of The Line's Experimental Podcast. For Jen Gerson, it's Matt Gurney. Have a great weekend.